Hello, and welcome to an extra special episode of The Network Age. I am your host, Mitchell Ritson, joined, as always, by my incredibly handsome co-host, Hapsel Rigner. Hello, everyone. And this week, we are excited to be joined by an amazing guest, Robert Kornacki of DC Spark, who's going to talk to us about Shinkai, the AI agent OS. Yeah, that's right. Shinkai is an AI agent operating system designed to unify all your services into a single node, making it easier for you to manage tasks across devices. So the way it works is current large language models like GPT are often criticized for being quote-unquote stupid because they lack the ability to perform specific context-sensitive tasks efficiently. You know, they're, they're not designed to interact with external services, databases, or APIs, and they don't really have a memory of past interactions. Essentially, they're good at generating text based on the data they were trained on, but they can't do much else. Yeah, we'll discuss with Rob how Shinkai helps overcome these limitations by providing foundational infrastructure for AI agents to use additional tools and services, perform tasks beyond mere text, and access advanced information generation and retrieval to improve decision making. You know, I... I kind of feel like this is going to make my my AI fear uh, even worse than it already is. Yeah, it's really going to make you feel uneasy when I tell you that I wrote all your intro parts using ChatGPT. Really? Even this one? Yeah, just read your lines, monkey. And now, our conversation with Robert Kornacki of DC Spark. Welcome back to the Network Age, and we are very excited to be joined by Rob Kornacki, the co-founder and chief science officer of DC Spark. Rob, thank you so much for joining us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Rob, we're going to uh, dive into some really exciting projects you're working on, Shenkai and everything about AI agents and operating systems and, and personal AI. And uh, before we get there, though, I'd love to hear a little bit about your your personal story. How did you get here? How did you uh, end up taking us into the future? <laughs> Very ambitious way to say it, but let's jump right in. Uh, yeah, Please, so be ambitious. I've been in, get us there. Be ambitious. Okay. I'll make it very ambitious. Though. Cool. Um, yeah, so I've been in the crypto space for the past four to five years, professionally, approximately. And initially, when I got into the space, uh, I was really excited through both obviously the crypto the crypto vision which i've been in crypto like you know not professionally since 2014 but i was really excited about messaging uh which sounds really important to most people obviously it's like <laughs> who cares about networking messaging uh but in practice one of the key issues that i saw even like almost half a decade ago in crypto was that like on-chain messaging on-chain plus messaging doesn't work and so that actually was one of the things where going into crypto that was one of the things that initially got me interested in more peer-to-peer systems and was eventually drove me into Urbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this vision of, okay, we can unify on-chain and off-chain, but the off-chain needs peer-to-peer messaging. And there was no solution for that. And through the years, I've gone through a lot of different uh, crypto projects, right? At DC Spark, uh, we've been building a lot of stuff. So I've you know, uh, done projects also even before DC Spark uh, in a company called Emergo. Uh, you know, I led a stablecoin project, an Oracle project, uh, DC Spark. I did various projects, including one uh, for Pima Studios, which is a fully on-chain game engine. And so I kind of dived into the on-chain world and really focused on a lot of solutions for that, both in roll-ups and otherwise. 
but kind of from four to five years ago, that whole off-chain messaging idea. And we did some work in Urbit, and some, uh, some of you may know of Urbit Advisor, uh, but we haven't done too much with that messaging idea. And that's kind of been the back burner for the past five years. Mm-hmm. And so taking a lot of lessons from everything we've built in crypto, uh, just all these projects, you know, you kind of take one lesson here, take another, especially when we dive into the Urbit ecosystem, there's a lot of off-chain stuff we learn. And then coming around now to where we are today, where we have LLM agents, we are kind of at this great tipping point where on-chain is really solid, but off-chain is still pretty much untouched. And so because of that, we've realized, okay, this is a good moment to really look into solving the off-chain side. And now with this you know, brand new technology of large language models and AI, we actually come into a new realm where the off-chain is much, much, much more important compared to two or three years ago. And so mm-hmm. AI agents, you know, incorporating into our daily lives and having them at a foundational aspect of like everything I do with my computer, I want to use AI agents with, suddenly that becomes, you know, 10, 100, 1,000 times more interesting as we look into the off-chain world, which before was like, okay, you can do messaging and networking, cool, fun, fun. But here you actually have this brand new technology that if we integrate all together with the off-chain and on-chain world, unifying all that together with AI agents in crypto and uh, off-chain networking, identity, et cetera, et cetera, that becomes a really, really exciting image. And that's why kind of the goal of Shinkai is to move from more of a human-coordinated computing paradigm to an AI-coordinated paradigm. Well, it, it seems like you're really getting at a few of the the major narratives that are happening in in like the larger Web three space, if you if you consider crypto and AI to sort of be at the intersection of that. One which you touched on is, I think, a growing realization that blockchain technology on its own is not sufficient to create the sort of computing revolution that people dreamed of. It's very good yep. at a few things. It's it's great at financial transactions, right? It has some really useful applications for um, cryptography and pseudonymity. Um, But without this robust off-chain layer, it's incredibly limited, right? Which is one reason that its, its critics have been really gleefully decrying, you know, where are the killer apps, right? And the answer is you can't make them without a dynamic rich off-chain environment that interacts seamlessly on the on the other side you have all of this ai development that is happening and people are desperately looking for ways that ai can juice crypto right everyone with crypto is saying how can ai pump my bags and a, a lot of the ideas that have come out have actually to me been pretty unconvincing, right? It, you don't just get to slap AI on crypto and say, this makes yep. money now. The the most, one of the most interesting things I've thought about, and I think will be very important in the net, you know, three to five years is cryptographic signing to, to, you know, for identity purposes to prevent yep. deep fakes, but that's still, that's not something that is really tangible right at this moment. But here you are sort of proposing a, a new system, you know, as you've said, uh, a, a paradigm shift to an AI computing model, a um, an operating system, as it were, that really combines these two, um, you know, narrative 
elements together to create something new. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of like what Shinkai is going for. So at the high level, it's, you know, paradigm shifting, but really it is an AI agent OS. And with that, the goal is to effectively make it so powerful that in our everyday lives, we can hook it in to whether you're programming, video editing, uh, you want 36 steps to go search the internet, summarize a bunch of papers or anything. We want to create an entire system that unifies all that and makes it possible. Uh, to hook into <laughs> um, our daily lives. Ed- Edgar Edgar is uh, motivated by by what you just said. He's no, you can't perfect. you can't talk in the third person about Edgar, man. You've got to like embody. I him, I I, <laughs> I Edgar Allan Poe. I Edgar Allan Poe feel this way. Yeah, I guess maybe you you didn't see Rob who this this guy is. This is um, okay. Edgar yeah. Allan Poe, uh, who is who has joined us here. I can't. I mean, I'm I'm pretty Very stoked honored. that we, yeah that we were able to get him. To be honest, he's a good guest. Yeah, he's hard to book. <laughs> no, 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 not a guest, a host. Yeah, so Let's he's, not on, forget. he's on the show. He's on the payroll now. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Hatzel, you, you, you had a question. Yeah, I was just. I, I think before we jump into Shinkai, well, I, I wonder if um, Rob, you can just give us an idea of like what is what is the the landscape at the moment? Is such a new sort of thing that we're talking about? What's the uh, I guess AI as an over overlay OS landscape look like right now? Right. So um, I guess this idea pretty much is very new to most people, right? Because um, if we look at the space of AI, uh, to be clear, I'm not someone who's been in AI for years. You know, I'm getting into this new, but I've been doing system design and system development for a long time. So I have like a pretty good knack for seeing kind of the landscape and understanding like where our strengths were like engineering does very well, which I have a lot of background in. And where research does a lot of well, uh, a lot of research does and pushes the space forward. And from our point of view, in the AI space, there's a lot of really good research, and a lot of people are you know uh, creating new models, uh, a lot of new ways of training, doing fine tuning and otherwise, uh, you know, increasing context links. But uh, one of the key problems in the AI space is that from an engineering uh, standpoint, there really aren't very many ambitious projects, right? Because most of the AI people are much more academics or currently in, you know, centralized companies. And their typical way of building software is SaaS, right? Software as a service. And so the majority of AI projects today are all in that perspective, right? Where we're using AI as an API to solve a single problem. And that's what almost everyone in this space is doing. And so they're not really asking like, what are those fundamental primitives that we need that like an AI agent OS needs. And this is like a very, very uh, new thought. And this is actually, you know, something we've been pushing for a few months now and we're building, Uh, but also today, uh, Carpathy, uh, which is, you know, uh, used to be head of AI at Tesla and now in OpenAI and really pushing uh, GPT-3, 4, et cetera. Um, He even put out a post on Twitter uh, talking about this uh, AI OS uh, concept. And so it's really great to see that like the overall space as a whole is not really caught up to this idea yet because everyone's really focused on that SaaS model, but kind of at the edges or like, you know, the people who were really pushing the space were building GPT-4 plus, uh, they're really starting to see that in fact, we need all these primitives. And, you know, in my opinion, these big players, and this is something um, I actually recorded a video, I think last month talking about this, that, um, with how AI and LLMs are going, 
uh, very likely we're going to have these big centralized megacorps that are going to have this full-fledged solution where they integrate fully everything into their you know agent solution so that will be your personal data like for example say google right you'll have google drive all your google docs and everything unified they'll generate embeddings and have everything kind of put together but you'll be locked into their system because inherently their software as a service is a default paradigm, right? And that's what they're building out, this centralized megacorp solution to AI. Yeah, but on the flip have, side, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I just like this, you'd have no flexibility in that system, yeah. right? If you ever decided you want something else, you have invested too, not only too much time, but so much of your data. And your data really is what's yep. powerful here, right? It is what allows the AI agents to operate on your behalf, not only manipulating a certain set of tools, but being able to respond to your needs, anticipate them. And the cost of switching will be very high. I mean, it's the, the same thing with something like you, you teach Spotify, uh, you know, it gives you the perfect playlist because you, um, you've been giving it so much data. And if you, if you, yep that's a barrier to switching. Even if some other deal comes along, you're like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to have to rebuild that set of preferences. And once that is integrated into your life at a much, much more extreme measure that you're, you're going to be so disincentivized yep. to, to not only switch, but to ask for anything greater from the companies that are providing it because you're, you're, you're so locked in. Exactly. And also it's not only that, but also the fact that, these big companies, right, they're building their own systems, but just like, you know, uh, for finances, right, in crypto, one of the reasons why so many developers got excited for crypto, besides the money and all that, is that you actually have like powerful primitives that you can build on top of, right? And so no one built DeFi on top of bank accounts, right? And like crappy API endpoints for all the banks in the US or something stupid like that. That to actually be an open source alternative that was powerful and could sustain itself in order for developers to build entire ecosystems on top. And from our point of view, that's what we're kind of thinking and pushing with Shintai is that we need an open source ecosystem that builds this entire AI agent OS that not only, yeah, it can like compete at the same level eventually uh, with these big megacorp solutions, but in fact, they're fully open source systems. So they're fully extensible. People can build anything in any direction and then you can even do crazy stuff in the future, like plug in your AI agents into peer-to-peer -peer protocols and do crazy God knows what, right? That's stuff that's inherently impossible when you're just in this megacorp software as a service, just a few API endpoints that they choose to give you access to and what you can do with your agents, what you can do with your data. And before, you know, that selling point was not as interesting because most of the API endpoints were as powerful as like open source stuff typically in the past. Not always. Well, crypto is like the one uh asterisk there uh but going forth into ai agents you know these things will be able to do ten thousand times most software we have today and then if you don't have the ability to extend these and build these into your own protocols well you're really 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 trapped not just from like a computer nerd perspective but even like in the end user apps and how people interact with the agents uh, you know from our point of view this will really split where the centralized megacorp options will be really really good at certain things but they can't solve everything. Like you have trillions of dollars, but you know, it's just a coordination problem of building out every single use case possible. And especially if you're focused on software as a service and not building a platform that's open and allows people to extend.
That's that's really fascinating. I think touches on um, some of the ideas that on, on a previous episode of the podcast, we had Owen Barnes on and he talked about personal mm. AI and he was, you know, talked a lot about the importance of, you know, you, you were really hitting on open source, but I think the, the flip side of that is the importance of, um, you know, personal servers in there, yep. right? A, a P2P network and, you know, that self governance and self ownership of your, your data. And it's not only yep. um, to keep yourself safe, but also because the, you can't trust the, the like SaaS AI models, like what they're going to yep. deliver to you, right? Like you don't, you don't get to look inside the black box of the AI and see why it's serving you certain solutions and who it's directing you to. And, um, you know, when you ask your, you send your Google AI pictures of your home and say, how should I decorate this? You know, who is, who is, what sponsor is paying for you to get their brand of couch on the, um, on the augmented reality screen that's, that's popping up there served by your AI. Craigslist in my experience. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna. That's, that's where I get a my nice sort of. Yeah, it'd be a nice way to you. You pay five bucks and get your your moth eaten holy couch sent to someone's augmented reality. I um, but it's it's there's just it's there's so many areas for manipulation that are gonna go yep. unseen if you don't have this more siloed, transparent system. And especially uh, of note in finance, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why crypto interop is probably going to be very, very challenging or almost impossible uh, for all these big, you know, centralized SaaS options. Because if I want, you know, uh, a from a legal perspective, if I have to trust this third-party company to execute a transaction for me, uh, you know, the legal insanity that they're probably going to jump through for hoops to actually like get uh, to the point where they'll accept that kind of risk uh, on their side. Because, you know, like their servers go down for two hours, suddenly everything breaks, uh, and then you have a big issue uh, with liability. But even before that, just uh, integrating into crypto is almost going to be impossible for them at scale and just making all that work. And so the open source options, and like you said, the personal server options, which is what Shinkai is building, where each uh, person has their own Shinkai node with... uh, their own agents all fully uh, with identities that are based off on-chain identities. And so with a deep crypto interop, we actually move into a world where it's not like first we just solve the AI agent OS problem. And then we think about finance, crypto, and like unifying this entire future. But actually from the very beginning, we build all that up. The uh, the next thing I want to talk about is, well, I just want to jump over to the technical aspects of uh, Shinkai. Yep. Um, there's several things that you mentioned to us when we were doing our notes. We have like uh, onion layered security. There's uh, data encryption. You also have built, I think, your own vector database. So can you just talk about the technical model of Shinkai? Yeah, sounds good. So I guess I'll take one step back and then we'll dive deeper. So out of, uh, out of whole, uh, as I mentioned, so Shinkai is a AI agent OS. And so our goal is to provide all the batteries all the foundational infrastructure that we need for those agents to be super powerful, super competent, to fit everywhere. And looking at like what agents are doing today, most people, when they create like whatever auto GPT or all of these random uh, weekend projects, they're primarily focused, especially because a lot of them are like Python programmers, 
in this kind of dynamic world, right? Where my AI agent has an LLM and this LLM will get smarter and smarter and smarter. So it'll just be able to magically do everything, right? It'll write infinite lines of Python code. It'll have an infinite contest length and be able to understand everything on my computer. And it kind of like deus ex machinas, the capabilities of large language models to say, okay, they'll become AGI in and of themselves. And so then we can just fit them into like these uh, basic APIs and have them connect stuff and it'll just be magic and everything will work. But realistically, LLMs, uh, in my opinion, it's very stupid to say, okay, those just become godlike and then we solve everything, right? That's not an engineering problem. That's not how you solve engineering problems. That's not a system. That's just a hope. And so with Shinkai, we're kind of like, seriously asking the question, how do we integrate this stuff into our daily lives at scale and actually make this possible? And so rather than telling uh, right, your LLM to write a Python script for something, we actually, for Shinkai, uh, ask what is the thing you're trying to do and how do we make that A, reproducible, A, make that fully typed and statically anal analyzable. And so like from programming language three, right? If we write everything in dynamic code, it's very hard to reason what the output is going to be. And that's why you have, you know, crazy problems if you build large Python code bases or otherwise, or large JavaScript code bases. Uh, like not having that static analysis to be able to tell how stuff executes makes it very hard. And when you just treat the LLM like a black box that's AGI and genius and it'll just solve all your problems, that's why you run into problems where like today on complex tasks, GPT-4 succeeds like, 25% of the time or something I saw in some paper. And it's because you're in this dynamic world where you're just saying, get smarter LLM and just do everything. But rather what we need to do if we want AI agents to be part of our lives is ask what are the exact things that an AI agent needs and then build them. And that's what Shinkai is. And so then to kind of answer your, uh, your question, what you touched on, uh, what is what are these batteries included? What are these primitives that we provide to AI agents to build the system so that they can actually succeed in complex tasks and then scale long-term? And so for that, uh, there's various things you need to hit, but effectively you want to create a full system where the LLM is not the thing fully guiding everything, but it is the thing being guided and it's provided rails where it makes choices. And so you take advantage of like the intelligence of the LLM to understand how to perform certain actions or making wise choices or interpreting uh, like a set of content or a set of choices and knowing which one's the best based off of other uh, available data and providing it all the rails to succeed to accomplish the user's task. And so what we're providing is specifically, as you said, a new implementation of vector databases. Uh, specifically, our uh, vector databases are called vector resources. And what makes them unique is that rather than being a database, so you have a heavy backend that is you know, this big binary that you run and you have to store data and you have to withdraw data, vector resources are instead a fully in-memory uh, data structure uh, that give you all the power of vector databases but fully serializable. And so you can save it as just a string and then you can send those vector resources as messages and your agents can send vector resources to each other and perform vector searches on various data. And so pretty much uh, with vector resources, just to wrap that up quickly, what we do is we take thinking, okay, agents need to converse, uh, message each other 
and do a lot of things. And vector resources are this representation of the syntactic value, like all the embeddings from uh, the actual content itself um, gets summarized and put into the vector resource. And then you have this containerized mini vector database that's also just as powerful and also has other uh, benefits also as we have the ability to put vector resources inside of vector resources. So mimicking structure of data. So like you can have categories separated uh, into separate vector resources inside of vector resources. And we also have an entire typed or lightly typed uh, data tag approach to make searches fit in with fully typed tools, which I can get to in a moment as well. Sorry, Mitchell, did you want to say something? No, no, that's, I mean, that's great. And uh, you touched on some of the stuff I, I wanted to get to about, um, about what exactly vectors are. But I think a really interesting point that you made is about how Shinkai is, is aiming to treat LLMs, right? Before uh, yep. you told me that a lot of LLM projects treat LLM as, as an AGI already or, or like a pseudo god. And you yep. said that you think that LLMs are actually stupid, right? They, uh, and that <laughs> they should do as little as possible and that they need hand-holding to, to help them succeed. And so, which, which makes a lot of intuitive um, sense to me about the, when having tried to use LLMs in the past that like they're, they need, they really do need to be directed towards um, specific yep. solutions, right? And so when you envision this, this agent system, do you yep. think it's, it's a network of, you know, agents that are all designed for specific tasks that are hyper specialized? Mm -hmm. You know, you have a, um, a, a calendar agent, you have a, a messaging agent, you have a trading agent, and all these things are only really designed to execute that. And for something that they are not equipped to, they, they unload that task to a separate agent that, but all of these things share a set of data and instructions. Is that a sort of more or less the correct understanding? To some degree, yes, but also a little bit no. So <laughs> Great. Yeah, that's why we have you. Uh, for a her, diplomat. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather not get into politics, but yeah. <laughs> Computer science is a bit better in my opinion, but anyways. Yeah, um, yeah so uh, to some extent, yes, where there will always be situations where AI agent is not smart enough. So you have to outsource or look for some other agent or specifically in our model. So as I mentioned, you know, agents, uh, they will be able to perform tasks and they perform those tasks in Shinkai via the concept of tools. You can understand tools kind of like one-time use functions. Uh, you can think of like Lambda functions to some degree, where it's, you know, performs a specific uh, task with a typed input and a typed output that the large language model understands. And so in our uh, system of Shenkai, we're not going for this future where you have 27 different LLMs and they all interact with each other and go crazy and you have your agents, you know, uh, reproduce a city just to do basic stuff. And the goal at a fundamental level is, as I mentioned earlier, you want to take away all as much of that responsibility as possible from the agent and codify that into these tools, which are code, program, right? Execution. And so what you use the agents and what we intend to have is you use your smartest agents 
to build these tools or toolkits, which provide these fundamental primitives where in future uses, you do not need the LLM to, you know, do this complex task where you have the chance of it going wrong because you always have randomness, right? You never have a guarantee that an LLM will perform something correct. But if you have your LLMs build tools, that's static code, that's mm -hmm. shareable, that can go across the network, that can be uploaded to GitHub, can be even formally analyzed one day. You know, it's like code we know. And it's like really easy to use. You have this reproducibility and you have the ability to share those tools. And so you actually get your AI agents smarter and smarter by installing more tools into your Shinkai node, which like power up your uh, Shinkai agents. And then also we just lightly touch on the vector database, the more info you put into your vector database, the smarter your AI agent is too, because the more information it has access to and can search and find either about you, about the world or anything. Hmm. And so pretty much our model focuses on making the AI agents really smart through the creation of tools and toolkits to remove that uh, emphasis on using them as that like super smart agent. However, for specific tasks, we uh, personally, I think there's going to be like a really good coding model. And for that specific task of coding, you'll have an agent for coding. But for generic tasks of everyday use, like sending email, uh, checking your Discord, checking Slack, whatever, those are fundamentally super reproducible tasks. And they should be tools that are guaranteed to succeed and that are fully typed. And you have this ability to do stat static analysis and guide the LLM to do static analysis. So then when you have a 27 step task, you can actually have the LLM with Shinkai, with the Shinkai node, plan that 27 steps before even executing a single step to guarantee that it will be able to succeed. And that's only through a statically typed tool system, which you can't do if you're just saying 27 different agents, please make it work. I hope. Uh -huh. right. That, you know, what it sort of rem reminds me of, and this is a, a bit of a, a journey, so uh, bear, bear with me, is are either of you guys familiar with the concept of tulpas? Do you know what I'm uh -huh. talking about? It's yeah. it, it, it ranges from a sort of a, a tradition of Tibetan spiritualism that it, that the quick version is it involves building almost like a um, a separate autonomous personality in your mind. It can it can be hmm. named and and people will converse with it and it has when you go through a set of training you know people say that you can eventually reach a place where it responds to you in a way that is separate from yourself. And this this came out of a spiritual tradition, but there um, uh, came a subculture of people who basically tried to use this technique to um, augment their lives and their own capabilities. And you might sort of try to create a personality that is better at math than you or something, and you can offload um, like that operations to this person, or even things like you know there were people who built like what they would call like tools, like a, a timer where you, you basically through repetition, create a, a background system in your brain that, that knows how much a second is. And you, you say, I you know, set an alarm for 30 minutes to do that test. And people sort of, you know, this is all a, a little bit of, um, you know, self-reported. Who, who knows how successful these things are, but people self-reported being able to create a sort of ecosystem in their brain of, I guess, agents and tools that could operate in the background and operate um, interacting with each other and to be able to accomplish certain tasks that a person had trouble doing on their own. Uh, so it, you know, it, it, it feels like the same sort of thing where like, what if you could set your brain, your, oper your operating system, your computer 
um, to accomplish all these things in the background where you had um, tools and personalities that understood how to interact with each other to accomplish tasks that you on your own pulling all these levers could not. It's a, it's a little bit of a wacky thing, but it's worth <laughs> it's worth I looking that, into. I think that, that Bitchell is trying to rationalize his schizophrenia. Uh, yeah, that's true. My multiple my my DID. I just I like the uh, this idea of um, I don't know of of building and construction and this sense that you're it's it, it's like you're creating a larger world inside the operating system of all these things that if if not having personalities have some sort of direction you know there's a coordination problem among these the they have objectives that they're trying to accomplish and even if they they can't accomplish something they need to know how to interact with these other agents to to reach their goal yeah yeah what's cool there is like um if you have agents right you can give them uh what the agent or where the agent can end up is often based off of right what context it has available to it. And so that's like your vector database, what data you can find, what tools it has access to. So you like what functions, you know, like an embodied uh, person or embodied agent, embodied anything has a set of functions and that's what, you know, allows it to perform actions. And so the simpler side of that, right, is you can have your agents like uh, act like some character, which is like what most of the LLM initial like playing around was. Uh, accomplished because you know if you're just in text most people can't connect easily that text into a world of tools and functions and actually mm -hmm. compute stuff uh, but yeah as you go into then like having full-fledged agents that run 24 7 like you said before you can actually start to have agents that are very scoped in their knowledge and their capabilities but they just perform something very consistently like maybe every 10 minutes every hour like a cron job or otherwise and you can start to build an ecosystem of many different agents or also, you know, depending on what your goals are, uh, how you structure how many agents you have, or whether you, you try and centralize that to one agent, you probably run into similar problems you already have in distributed systems versus, you know, centralized approaches. And we're probably going to see a lot of, like, uh, issues prop up from similar, uh, you know, topography uh, issues in existing uh, networking systems. I want to uh, I want to jump back really quickly and and just mm -hmm. uh, ask a question about your vector database, which I yeah. hope you'll answer. Um, you know, re recalling that most of our listeners are intelligent laymen, but okay. um, certainly more intelligent than us. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but laymen nonetheless. Um, <laughs> so it, it, my my understanding of it is that that using uh, vector databases has. Um, like this sort of classic problem of like high dimensionality and sparsity, which is to say that these, an element like say an apple will be represented in a really, it's like a point in a very high dimensional space close to other things like banana and orange or whatever. And then you have the sparsity problem, which is that most of the representations will have like near zero values. Uh, so that makes uh, searching across the database really difficult. And I guess there's a couple of questions that come out of that. One is you, you say that uh, your vector database is somewhat different from traditional vector databases. Do these problems apply? And also um, how do you deal with the, the fact that it seems to me you're dealing with CPU constrained or, you know, just, just technically constrained systems. Like if I'm doing this on my own machine, how do you deal with, 
something that is very computationally intensive. So embeddings, there's specific embedding models that you use that aren't the same as your typical large language models where you want them to respond back to you. I just have a note from a computation perspective. And in practice, actually, uh, the current best open source uh, model, or one of the best that doesn't take 27 hoops and you have to run some you know, academics random Python code that's like actually usable, is um, expert. And that those models are typically, I think, in the range of like 16 to 30 megabytes, super, super, super tiny. These embedding models are not very powerful. And like the space really needs better embedding models. And they'll happen. But embeddings aren't sexy. <laughs> this is just, oh, your words are numbers. No one uh, from a, like a selling point on Twitter, like, oh, check out my weekend project. Look at all my numbers. No one really cares. Right. <laughs> um, and so eventually the space will catch up enough people will need embeddings and the models will get better. Uh, but just to kind of give from a computational standpoint, if I want to generate embeddings using these tiny models for SBIRT, which are pretty decent quality, but primarily only trained on English and like the standard English language, not really computational concepts as much or programming or anything. Um, generating embeddings for like an entire page takes microseconds pretty much. It's very fast. And so uh, the inferencing for LLMs is very slow and computationally expensive. Embeddings as a problem space, it's a lot faster and not as computationally expensive. But that's only generation, right? And your other point was, okay, you've generated all the embeddings and it's extremely hard to find the exact data you want, right? Because uh, as you said, the, val uh, the actual, those numbers, the vector embeddings, so it's a set of numbers that have the semantic value, like the actual meaning of what that string is. Like you said, apple, orange, pear, it represents those as numbers. Um, and you have a problem where they're not high quality enough to easily differentiate, especially at large scales. And so uh, on one side, embedding models will get better, but that's not the answer, right? Just like how for LLMs, like LLM will get better, it'll solve all of my problems. Likewise here, you can't do that because there's still an inherent problem very deep down inside. And especially like with Shinkai, where we want to store all of a user's uh, data in one place uh, inside the Shinkai node, this will, you know, if you have a 10 or 100 gigabytes of data in your Shinkai node eventually with all your personal data, all your PDFs, all your personal docs, you need to solve this, right? And so what vector resources or vector search solution uh, implements is likewise for the LLM inferencing side to perform actions. We have tools, which are typed tools. For uh, vector resources, we take structure of the original input source data and we put it into our vector resources model. And so to break that down a little bit more, uh, so say we have a Wikipedia page and we have, a, it's a Wikipedia page of some country, say Canada, where I'm originally from. You can have like various categories in the Wikipedia page talk about economy, history, uh, you know, whatever, demographics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of these categories have a bunch of data inside of them. And so what we can do is create a vector resource for the entire Wikipedia page. And then for every category, we create a sub vector resource that's stored inside of the top level vector resource. And then if there's subcategories, we can have those inside of each category. And so what that does now, it gives us the structure just like for the tools, you have uh, types, which gives you the ability to do static analysis. And now for vector resources, we have the structure of the original data. And so if I have a question about uh, the history of Canada, um, if the data chunk that's the most similar is actually in the, let's say, whatever, uh, economy, but I'm looking for something about the history, we can, because we have that structure, when we do a vector search, 
we can actually rate the economy one as lower value because it's not in the right category for the high level topic we're searching, which is something about the history. And so because we have the structure and because we implement this at like the time of ingestion, where almost all vector databases today try and do funky stuff after you just like throw the data in a vector database and then they try to like index stuff afterwards and kind of guess stuff. We, at the very source point, when you ingest that data, so I have a PDF or the Wikipedia page or whatever, I take it in, uh, my sugar node converts it into a vector resource. And then uh, I can easily search for specific topics and have the structure actually support my searches. And the other thing uh, to really fine tune that even more and fit into the tools is we have a concept of data tags or what I've colloquially called, at least for the time being, syntactic vector search. So vector searching uh, classically, right, is semantic. So it's like the actual value of what you're saying, right? It's not that I'm saying uh, it in a specific order. It's actually, I'm saying, I want an apple, right? What does that mean? Not uh, specifically the words, I want an apple. So semantic means the actual value of the sentence. And so with syntactic vector search, we actually allow your AI agents based off of the types um, for tools. So say it needs um, a, it's trying to search for an API or sorry, it's trying to use an API that needs a year, right? Your Shinkai node can have a data tag that's a year. And it specifically goes through all your vector resources whenever they're ingested and tags every single sentence or data chunk pretty much uh, with a year tag if the data includes a year. And so what this allows us to do is have when you're uh, AI agent needs a year value, it can go and do a vector search on all of your data, which can have billions of documents. And because we pre-index every single data chunk that has a year inside of uh, the actual string value, like the actual text, the contents, what that does is, okay, so you have 10 billion values, but there's only a thousand that actually have a year value with like very, very few checks uh, via just uh, reading some hash maps for those, who are more for those who are more technical, excuse me. Uh, pretty much almost instantly, we figure out the exact 1000. And so we cut the state space from 10 million or 10 billion to 1000, like extremely efficiently. And we only do a vector search, which is kind of heavy on those 1000. And we use the structure afterwards to then also score those. So you know exactly like if uh, I'm searching something about the economy of Canada, and there's uh, something about the economy of the US because the US at the top level of the vector resource, uh, uh, the vector resources, the US vector resource is very different and had a low score compared to the Canada one because I asked about Canada. Even if it finds data from the US one that matches what I wanted minus the US tag, uh, it won't actually score it high. And so basically uh, with data tags, you can find the exact data you need, which helps it the statically typed tools and have that you know uh, really brought together. And then the vector resources embedded in each other allows you to score stuff properly so that you don't have to put, you know, a billion uh, tags of metadata, right? Like uh, if you just have sentences talking about economy, I don't know what country it's for potentially, because they maybe talked about the country two paragraphs earlier. And so vector resources effectively allow us to have a unified system and then allows uh, the scoring and finding of the exact data that we need based off of whatever you're searching for. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's a really great description of what's going on under the hood and some of the problems that this type of larger AI agent network um, have 
encountered and that that Shinkai will solve. But I'm interested in, uh, and I imagine many of our listeners as well, what is this going to look like from the user perspective? You know, I you're a technical guy, you're a builder, you're thinking about it on all these really granular levels. But when I, bitch or Ritson, sit down to to use this product, what does the fully realized version look like? How is it integrated into my into my daily life? What kind of experience am I having? Mm-hmm. Great question. So there's two parts to that, which is where do all your AI agents run? And what is your interface and how do you interact with it, right? And so, uh, like you said previously, uh, we have this you know personal AI model where you have a Shinkai node that you run. And to make that easy, you know, for those who are very uh, privacy focused, we're you know going to be an open source project. You can download and run the Shinkai node locally on your computer or place it on a server if you want to self-host anywhere. That's all available to you, and you have the freedom to ha- choose you know how private you want and how technical you want to be. That said, we're also going to offer a hosting service. So it's going to be as simple as you know downloading an app, signing up, putting in your credit card info, and then you know you can be up and running in five minutes or whatever uh, to choose your name and otherwise, and just have that all kind of a seamless experience. And then once you have your node, whether self-hosted or you know hosted by a third party like us or other people that will be uh, undoubtedly also running companies uh, just like in other ecosystems, you as a user, the really cool thing is unlike in other ecosystems, this is kind of like a problem we had in Urbit, right? And this is something we tried to tackle with Urbit Advisor. One of the problems is you don't have sub-identities really integrated as a proper concept in Urbit. Uh, you have the concept of moons, but moons are still heavy, don't work quite the way you'd want them, and you can't just throw them around in the web environment, in mobile, and anywhere you want. With Shinkai, as I mentioned before, all your agents have sub-identities, but Shinkai is also a peer-to-peer networked system. And it's not only peer-to-peer networked globally, it's peer-to-peer networked also with all of your devices. And so what this means is that once you have a Shinkai node up and running, doesn't matter if it's self-hosted or by a third party, you now can connect it directly to your desktop. And so we're implementing like Shinkai Tray, is the current name, a desktop app. We're also implementing a web extension that acts very similar to what Urbivisor was before, Shinkai Visor. And we're also implementing a mobile app. And so what this allows us to do is have all these different target devices all unified because your Shinkai node acts as that center point with all your personal data, with all of your agents, with all of your vector resources, so everything available in one place. And then the interfaces of how you interact with it are really just interfaces, really. Uh, meaning that they just provide you the ability to speak, right? On mobile, we'll probably have the ability, you know, you touch, uh, you tap a button, and then you can speak and tell your LLM, sorry, your LLM or agents uh, to, you know, translate something or, uh, you know, perform something like, hey, uh, check out uh, what's the latest news on XYZ topic, uh, contact uh, my other phone uh, to fetch uh, some document on it, and then get back to me with the results, right? And so what we're really trying to do with Shinkai is have all of your personal devices and also all the external agents and other people's devices uh, in the further future, that's also going to be focused. But initially the big focus is to have AI agents incorporated into your daily life. And that means give both uh, the apps, so like desktop, browser, mobile, 
so that you can have that experience of using your AI agents. But then we also have libraries and otherwise, uh, excuse me, across uh, Rust, Python, TypeScript, and uh, various uh, you know mainstream languages that allow developers to hook in your Shinkai agents into their apps. So you kind of get this compounding effect where everything's in one place with your agents, but you have all this power no matter where you are in your digital life. I think you you sort of answered my next question there, which is that you also see this as uh, like AI as middleware. So like uh, forming an intelligent middleware layer that can interact with various software. Uh, yep. Like, I don't know, uh, Calendly or whatever, right? Or Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Like, like I, I just How wanted you to- pronounce that? Calendly, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I don't know why. I don't know why I put the <laughs> the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that Edgar is uh, Edgar yeah. approves. Uh, no, I just I just wanted to to. It, it sounded like you're already talking about this, which is that it's also going to act as, as software middleware or intelligent. Yeah, exactly. Middleware. So that's why um, what I earlier said is right. Like right now, we're in a human coordinated paradigm. And so, for example, this is why you have a million apps, right? right. So Calendly is just for your calendar. Uh, you know, you have various use cases of like five different messaging, seven different messaging apps, right? Discord, Slack, this, that. They all provide slightly different experiences to solve a human interface problem, right? Like deep down inside Discord and Slack, like if you're looking purely backend perspective, if you didn't, you weren't a human and you didn't actually experience the front ends, you could get 95% similar functionality in most cases. Uh, and so really what we're moving into is what I said about tools earlier. The goal is to have a ton of tools that connect into every single one of your services. And so then you have the ability to tell your AI agent, hey, you know, uh, check uh, my inbox uh, for the last two days from a message from uh, Habsol. Uh, you know, read what's in there. There's probably an EVM address and he said, uh, send me 50 uh, USD in ETH and prepare me a transaction and send that transaction to my phone so I can do that, right? Something crazy where you're like, you're chaining multiple things across devices. That's something that right now, because we don't have like a really off-chain messaging solution, that's almost impossible because my phone can barely talk to my computer, right? I have to go through some like third-party server, usually like Google Drive or something, right? Uh, but with Shinkai, the idea is to unify all your services into your Shinkai node and all your devices. So then it's as easy as just telling whether uh, voice, whether typing, whatever, just telling your AI agent, I need X, Y, Z done. And it has everything, your API keys, all the tools to just do it for you. And that's kind of the end goal of moving from, you know, human coordinated where you have a billion apps and you have to manually copy paste, you know, open each app, do jump through 20 hoops instead to have your AI agents do all that for you and having the tools to actually make it powerful enough to have that. Yeah, I heard one step there that I didn't like, though, which is that I have to, I, I now also, I still have to sign, you know? I want to give away all of my autonomy, you know? Everything to this <laughs> to this beast and just let it uh, let it do everything. I want it trading for me intelligently 24-7. So I mean, I if you want, we can implement that too, <laughs> but, the, you know, there's trade-offs. And if you suddenly all your money goes to zero, my money's already zero, so let's let's just <laughs> let's let a more intelligent agent handle my trading and and uh, and signing. Talk to your wife. I mean, eventually you, that is possible. You know, yeah, talk to my wife kids. for me, right? Yeah, yeah. Do everything. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
be like, they, hey, babe, I know I can't win this argument, but I'm going to offload it to my Vishenkai node. Yeah. And, uh, they, why I get to watch the, 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 the dream that, that, that you guys are trying to deliver us is like more free time so that I can play with my kids and talk to my wife. Yeah, but actually, <laughs> if you could just do all that <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, you 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 get will be sitting in a room like staring at the wall as as Shinkai is. This doing is the all dream. For you. This is uh-huh. the dream. Thinking I just wanted about the Roman Empire. Thinking about the Roman Empire, yeah. Shakespeare and Shakespeare. Perfect. I, or meditating as a Buddhist, uh, just staring at a wall for yeah, creating you know, twenty four days, creating my own my own tulpa, I guess. Yeah, this yeah that's the 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 fully realized um, version is um, all of our social financial interaction is just happening on the cloud and we're ascending spiritually all alone <laughs> in little boxes. Um, well, I guess, you know, no, uh, AI, uh, dis- discussion then is, um, is, is possible to have without saying like, Hey, <laughs> what are the downsides here? Um, cause I, I am someone who I would describe myself as AI skeptical, not in the sense that I don't think it's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the the sense that I I worry about some of the ways that it's going to to change our lives. Yep. I think obviously there there are going to be vast improvements and unlocks from it. But there is... we should probably back background this with the information that you live really pretty close to Uncle Ted's cabin. So <laughs> yeah, in in the grand in the grand scheme of things, and hopefully in in a couple uh, by the time this episode airs, I will be uh, further into the wilderness than I currently am. Um, but I, you know, the, this all sounds great when you're talking about tools, right? About smart tools and executing tasks. Um, but do you have any worries beyond sort of like, you know, corporate manipulation about what this does to our human experience? I mean, this is, you know, not on a technical level, but just philosophically mm-hmm. what do you think that we lose by offloading so much of our daily lives to ai agents right yeah so it's definitely a trade-off right like i mean humans have never had this technology ever before <laughs> we can't predict the consequences it, to their full extent. unless it destroyed them you know maybe that is you know where the the um the pyramids came from right indeed the, the first shenkai you guys are forgetting. You guys are forgetting all about you know having a helitized class of of uh, little slave people working for you. This is just that, Those but are, without. I guess a type of AI agent. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. This is that, but with without those sticky like ethical. And problems. that all went super well, as everybody remembers. <laughs> well, it ended at any rate. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, besides that, um, yeah. So I think. There's two sides to it. So obviously it's going to offload a lot of stuff, like you said. And at least from a productivity standpoint, I think it's going to be very hard to argue from like, okay, we can build stuff that's useful a lot faster is obviously going to be the case. And on that technical side, um, having open approaches, because like I think one of the worst cases from an ethical standpoint is, you know, you just end up in this future in 10 years or maybe five years got those um that these mega corps they're they're the only solutions right and you're kind of either you're redneck you know no ai almost very limited technology 
or you're locked the, in this big That's ecosystem. the enlightened perspective. The rednecks, come on. <laughs> hey. I mean, I, I'm not like uh, dissing rednecks or otherwise. I'm just saying yeah, 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 uh, yeah. separated fully uh, from the system or you're locked into one of these big megacorps. And I think that's actually the like one of the nearest dangers that no matter what you think of the full dangers of AI, like that's going to happen. There's going to be major lock-in and like they will be able to control people's lives, right? Like there's already problems where like some guy, um, his doorbells uh, like glitched out, and then he had his whole uh, all the Amazon devices in his house uh, get uh, deactivated because the guy who was delivering his packages thought his doorbell said something mean to him. And so there's already like AWS <laughs> going crazy or Amazon going crazy, just deactivating stuff like that. And that's just like you have to, you know, crappy speakers, crappy devices. And you're like you have to pay extra for a polite doorbell. Like the, you, the doorbell is a is a one time fee, but if you want it to not insult people at your door, you have to pay a subscription. My my ring doorbell is <laughs> extremely racist, and I I blame that on the AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely wasn't uh, me. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, uh, that's the more immediate worry, right? Like, that on steroids a thousandfold in my mind, where, like, everything you own, all your devices, everything, like, you're, because especially as we move, like, uh, financially, like, all money, like, whether people like central uh, central digital currencies or not, they're probably going to happen. You know, there's not enough pushback to stop that in either case. There's also going to be crypto, but they're both going to be there, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we don't have uh, options that are not, you know, you just get owned more or less, and you become a peasant class because these gigantic corporations own you. I think that's like the immediate danger more so than also, obviously there's going to be very big societal stuff where like it really changes and uh, how more efficient things can get done, obviously without as much structure and as many people doing the same things. And so there's probably going to be both, you know, obviously very clear upsides and some worries, obviously for sure. But I think like solving it, because, you know, um, it's AI is going to happen. So from my point of view, like that's why like with Shinkai, I will really want to build a system that's opposite to the centralized megacorp options because that's something I can do. I can cry in a corner and say, AI is yeah. going to replace us all, but like cool, now what, right? So it's like moving towards the steps that I actually think will really make a difference. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Giving, uh, the future is coming and it's better to have more options about how to yep. experience that. And I think, you know, one one reason I started working for Ukbar at all and getting involved in this ecosystem, like what one of the things that was most persuasive to me is that if you're able to solve the these computing data problems um, that that structure how we interact online and our relationship to large companies, it it allows it actually creates an option to be less beholden on those systems um, yep. by as um, as Tim, the, the CEO of Ukbar would say is like, you know, um, to let computers do computer things and people do people yep. things. And I think like that, I guess, is the, um, the best case scenario for something like this is that all a much larger portion of your life is filled with human activity and um right. not coordinating and managing different systems and um all of these things that make us want to want to go insane on a yep. on a daily basis i um 
Though I, I sometimes I, I worry that maybe like I don't know, will it just soften us to not have to solve these types of problems? I guess there there are always gonna be other problems we need to solve, but like yep. lately I've been trying to do more math in my head, which is not something I've done in a long time. And it's really mm-hmm. hard. And it used to not be so hard, but I just, right. you know, I've been I've been doing you know, basic addition on a calculator, you know, if, if it involves any number more than two digits for, yeah. um, there's for a, a year. There's a genuine thing here that you're, that you're getting at. Sorry that I, I just like, no, please. Yeah. There, there's a real concern that I have, um, with all this offloading, you know, mental, mental capabilities that we used to have, which I don't want to sound like a boomer and I don't think that's what you want to sound like either, but, but that a, a lot of culture is having shared mental furniture. So like for instance, or, or you know, like the, it's a coordinate, it's a coordinating thing, for instance. And I don't mean this in a, to, to sound, um, you know, too ridiculous, but I mean, the, the fact that people used to know uh, the Bible backwards and forwards, or that, you know, a large number of people learned in school to recite the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Or the preamble. The, it, it genuinely bothers me that that we don't have all of the shared mental for furniture anymore. And and so, and we've offloaded this thing. Like if I want to know what the St. Crispin's Day speech is, I just, you know, go to Google and say, what is it, right? And now what we have as a result of that is uh, it seems to me uh, fractiousness because we don't have like this this shared I don't know shelling point or whatever you want to call it of being able to recite these things or have the same same mental furniture. I don't know if there's a question there, but since you were talking about like offloading, you know, mm-hmm. your mental capacities, that's that's one of the things that really bothers me about um, first of all Google, but now like LLMs. When I was preparing for this, as a matter of fact, I was like, I'm not going to go read anything. I'll just take the, I'll take the notes, uh, let my LLM ingest them and tell it to spit out some questions for me. Right. So I did, um, the, <laughs> did you do that? I, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, you know, cause I thought, I, I thought, um, I'm not, I, I am genuinely a layman and, um, I would like to have some good, decent questions to ask. How can I get there? Should I read you know, five years of papers like, you know, Rob has, or should I just in, let an LLM ingest the notes that we have and see if it can come up with some good questions that I can actually understand. And when I didn't understand something, I said, okay, explain this question better to me so that I can ask the question question better. That may not come out in this interview, but I did do that. Yeah. So well, it's, it's I'm dumber for that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, but it's, yeah, like, I mean, this is like a, a, a true question we're going to have to face is like is it better to be dumber with more information or or smarter with less information right, right. like the um the i there's a lot of studies that support that like the the benefits of learning a language only one of them is being able to communicate with other people right there uh, it it really seems to positively impact other critical thinking abilities to to go through that and um this is you know i mean maybe this is partially also like the in the in our world a lot of people like to shit on liberal arts majors and things like that i i myself was a liberal I, arts I, I major, but i 
Yeah. <laughs> as a liberal right, arts I major, do, I like to shit on liberal arts majors. Yeah. Right. I do think that like as for as as silly as it sounds, like do I you know, am I gonna make a lot of money like uh doing close readings of, you know, eighteen eighteen hundreds Russian texts? No. But I do think that those exercises that I was put through doing that had really structured the way I um process information, interact with people um, in a a really positive way. And as more and more of that gets offloaded, does it not, does it potentially also destroy um, or if not destroy, really alter um, Mm -hmm. the way, like our interpersonal relationships, our, like, if if you're not used to solving any problems, like, that has to do with like your work or your processing? Are you going to be able to solve problems in a marriage? You know, do you just have such a low tolerance for any mm-hmm. sort of thing that doesn't work out for you? This is anyway, I I'm think... blaming you for all of this, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I think like one part of that too, though, that will change is also that like, I mean, you know, like with any technology, lots of doors close, other doors open, um, any like big shifting stuff. So I think like, a lot of that too, like what you're saying, right, is like part of the education process, right? Um, and so with LLMs, I think one thing that will come about is that we can kind of revamp education to be super, super both efficient, more portable, and like custom and fine-tuned to really what you want, like for your children coming up. And like both from an information standpoint, like, you know, doing an entire syllabus or building an entire program for your child previously, you would need like to find someone who can produce that content up front. Mm. In the future, for a lot of stuff, you can probably have very customized routes that you can build and even have, like you were saying, like, oh, I don't understand this, right? Having like your kids, maybe like, let's say, especially in their teens, uh, you know, when I was in high school, right? Like I did reasonably well, but half the time I probably wasted on pointless stuff that matters not, or just I just sat in class board or whatever, right? Uh, a lot of that time could really be much more efficiently used and geared specifically. And I think probably we'll have like a lot more customized routes. And like, that's a problem, like you said, in terms of fractionalization, like there's no, you know, unified consensus across like a culture anymore. But on the flip side, the way like past that is then, okay, what are the things you actually value, right? From that culture that you personally think is worth like indulging in. And I think like, that's kind of the flip side of that is like you can use the technology then to the benefit of focusing on the parts that you really do value. And I mean, I agree that there's, you know, trade-offs, negatives, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of a fact like people like already today, right? Like uh, zoomers, like I'm uh, 28 now and that already like zoomers, like they're crazy on TikTok, Right. And all these like very short video platforms and like, they're not that much younger than me. But already, like the way they experience the internet or the way they experience mm-hmm. talking to each other is different compared to me, and I think that's going to get more and more. And so it's really kind of like what I was saying before: like uh, I don't have to like it the way it's going, but it's going this way. And so I'm trying to find like what are the best ways we can use the tech and use the new situations we're in to actually be positive. And that's really you know the only way I see that's uh, valuable or going forward. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I think that maybe maybe the other side of this is that there will be more freedom to like, like we said earlier to choose what your experience of this is. And maybe 
most people will go in one direction because that's easiest and it's it's set up for them and like maybe even if something like shenkai succeeds you know there's a decent chance that most people still end up on the google version but that you um have a have a choice you know um is is yep. very important it's it's important for this type of thing to exist all right before we go i just want to ask is there anything uh else besides shinkai that um, dc spark is working on yeah a great question so um as we've been in the crypto space for a while me and my two co-founders nico uh, arqueros and Saba Gilmont, we've been diving into various uh, endeavors in crypto, both in the off-chain and off-chain worlds, as I've mentioned. And we kind of really focused on the areas we think are highly valuable for the up-and-coming future. And so um, Shinkai is the focus for the off-chain AI and messaging side of things. And this is like the direction we think is definitely what's going to be successful. Uh, besides that, you know, we've worked... Um, with rollups in the past. And so we also have uh, Zeko, which is a uh, up and coming ZK rollup using Minas Tech, uh, which gives us uh, some really cool primitives, uh, specifically compared to uh, more classical, you know, uh, Starkware, Stark, or uh, ZK Stark uh, technology that you typically see in current rollups on Ethereum uh, for L2s. And then also um, on the side, because uh, ZK is a big thing, and there's obviously nice, uh, you know, connections we can also have in the future with Shinkai and ZK. Uh, but that's not obviously a big focus at the current time. But it does gives us, uh, you know, some capabilities to kind of bring those uh, primitives together and kind of build really nice stuff in the future with having your AI agents have some ZK zero knowledge capabilities. And then also on the side, we also have uh, a project uh, Pima Engine uh, at Pima Studios, and so that's our fully on-chain game engine, uh, which is the project uh, I led for the past almost two years uh, previous to Shinkai. And uh, that's effectively a fully on-chain game engine uh, that supports autonomous worlds, uh, pretty much any on-chain gaming and gamification use case. And pretty much you can build uh, anything as a roll-up that lives on any sort of EVM-based chain. You guys, so did you guys build a... a a game as sort of like a proof of concept or something like that? Yeah, we currently have uh, two games released. Uh, the first one is Jungle Wars, and that's kind of a super basic game that we initially released to kind of show off the tech that is fully on-chain, it's working. And I think it was one of the first um, on-chain games that uh, actually give you choices, and it wasn't just deposit tokens and withdraw tokens or something basically like that. But our uh, second game that was actually like a game game uh, was... Uh, Wrath of the Jungle Tower Defense, which is a full PvP 1v1 tower defense game that runs 100% on-chain and is, you know, pretty much a classical uh, PvP game that you would experience on centralized servers, but you can play uh, fully on-chain. And if anyone wants to, you can actually play for free today. Just go to pymastudios.com and you can actually just, uh, we even pay your transaction fees. You just need an EVM wallet, or actually EVM or Algorand wallet or Cardano wallet or Polkadot wallet. Any of those work and we pay your transaction fees for you and you get a fully on-chain gaming experience. And we actually have a pretty good community with some really good players who like really optimized uh, the meta. And are like, you know, if, if you play them, they'll crush you, but you'll have a fun time. So if you want to get onto that, uh, feel free to uh, jump on our Discord. Uh, you go to pymastudios.com and all the links are there. 
Uh, and then just to wrap that up, we also are now uh, building uh, a third game, which is a monster catching and exploration game that's kind of MMO-esque, where you can have a shared world. And you kind of go out in the world, catch monsters, which are bound to NFTs, and it's all fully on-chain. And you get this experience of you know exploring into a RPG world where you catch monsters, level them up, uh, battle bosses, and so forth. And you get a whole story and everything, but you share this on-chain world with everyone else. And so, yeah, and so uh, with Paima, uh, we're really excited because Paima Engine is, I think, uh, is the current uh, fully on-chain game engine. It's the only one with fully released games uh, that are live and uh, have uh, hundreds of players up to this point. Because um, there's a few other competitors that we have, but uh, there's still much more in early days. And so what we're really excited from the Shinkai point of view is then with the Paima Engine tech we have, uh, to also move later in the direction once Shinkai sets uh, you know, some really good um, stable releases to then also integrate you know, autonomous worlds where your AI agents are fully uh, embodied, so to say, uh, as on-chain characters and otherwise, and have that entire loop, which is also another like subsection sub of the AI world that people are really excited about, is where your AI agents play in games. And what's really cool here is that you know, we have the crypto capabilities for Shin implemented in Shinkai at the tool level, we'll be able to hook that into uh, games that exist fully on chain that are built in Pima Engine. And then you actually have your agents fully you know, interact, have their own wallets, uh, submit transactions, potentially trade NFTs, and actually play these entire games and like enter into these autonomous worlds and actually have it all as a unified experience. And so really excited to be like, you know, in the ZK tech, in the fully on-chain gaming tech, in the AI off-chain messaging, you know, AI OS tech and having like in the future, obviously <laughs> there's a lot of work to do, but going step by step and really unifying and like embodying all that together and really like getting all the capabilities all wrapped up. Awesome. Well, that sounds like a lot of really cool stuff that you guys are working on. And we'll make sure to um, drop the Pima Studios link in the show notes and other information that um, people can find about DC Spark. Perfect. And uh, on that note, Rob, Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an awesome conversation. And I, you know, I look forward to, to getting updates on Shinkai as it, as it gets out, because this is definitely something I want to play, play around with. So I, so I don't have to talk to my fiance anymore. I'll just, I'll give it to Shinkai and it'll take care of all that for me. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. And just uh, one quick uh, last uh, extra part. Uh, everyone, please, if you're excited about Shinkai, uh, join our Twitter. It's Shinkai underscore network. And we also have a Discord where we have even more uh, both updates, uh, even more than Twitter. And also, if you have any questions, we're more than happy to answer anything. So please just drop by and we're always available. Yeah. And we'll, we'll definitely include all those uh, links in the show notes as well. So uh, to everyone out there, thanks for listening. And we will see you next time on the network page. Thank you for listening. For more Network Age content, you can find us on Twitter at Network Age Pod. We've also got a beautiful new presence online, which you can find at ookbar.network forward slash age. Also, find us on Apple or Spotify. Leave us a good review, and we may even read it on air. Until next time, this has been the Network Age. <laughs>